Good day, everyone. Welcome to Learning Bible Truth. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D., here to take you on a tour of the Bible by reading entire books, not just one scripture of the Bible. And I will be sharing commentary with you while we read line upon line and precept upon precept of every scripture. Since you won't take the time to study and show yourself approved before God, I am bringing the scriptures to you. So get your Bibles, take out pen and paper, invite family and friends, take notes, and let's learn Bible truth. Good day, Bible truth learners. I hope this day finds you well. We are embarking on a new episode entitled The Letter to the Galatians, Law versus Grace. Now, let me lay the foundation. Paul set up churches in Galatia, Christian churches. Now, the Galatians were Gentiles. They were pagan worshipers. Paul preached the gospel there. They believed, they received, and they became Christians. They became believers. They became sons of God. So later on, false teachers had entered the church. They were Jews who were practicing Judaism, and they were called Judaizers. Now, after they had established a relationship with the Galatians, they started telling them, pointing out in the Old Testament about the laws of Moses and telling the Christian Galatians that they needed to keep the laws of Moses in order to be saved. And, excuse me. So Paul got wind of this, and Paul wrote a, a letter to all the churches in Galatia. And us being former Gentiles and now sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ, this letter applies to us as well. Now, without further delay, I am reading from the NIV, the New International Version. I know some of you are shocked. Those of you who follow me on a regular basis, I typically read from the King James Version or either the ESV, but I decided at the very last minute which was about 20 minutes ago to use the NIV. I study using all three. So um, it's not, you know, anything new to me, but it may be new to you guys. And those of you who have a different version of the Bible, it's fine because we should end up in the same place. Okay. Now I am going to read all six chapters, every verse, you know me, line upon line, precept upon precept. And here a little and, and, and there a little. So what I want to do is rightly divide these scriptures. Now, the letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians are some of the most profound writings to distinguish between law and grace. And you are going to find during this episode that we can't do both. We can only do grace or if you practice the law or try to add any semblance of the law, you have fallen from grace, meaning you are not saved. So without further ado, go to Galatians chapter one. I am reading verse one. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him, him Jesus, from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches of Galatia. This is Paul's introduction to the letter. 
to, to Galatians in his letter. Verse 3, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the, pre from, from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Verse 5, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Verse 7, which is really no gospel at all, meaning there is no other gospel. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Verse 8, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Paul is saying, even if we or any other apostle or disciple try to pervert the gospel of Jesus, which is the gospel of grace, let them be cursed, meaning let them go to hell. That's what that means. Verse nine, as we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Verse 10, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please God? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. What Paul is saying is, if you are trying to establish any works or good works that you do or following the laws of Moses, you are trying to, to please man. You are not trying to please Christ. And Paul is saying if he's doing that, he would not be a servant of Christ. Verse 11, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin, meaning it did not come from human beings. It didn't. Verse 12, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. The gospel that Paul and the other apostles are preaching and the disciples came directly from Jesus. Jesus preached it when he walked the earth and he, uh, he, this was a commission to all the apostles and all the disciples when Jesus ascended on high for us to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Okay? So this didn't come from man. This came directly from Jesus. Verse 13. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. How intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. Verse 14. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Verse 15, but when God who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace was pleased, verse 16, to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. You guys remember when Paul was on the road to Damascus and he encountered Jesus. Um, he is, he's not giving his full testimony here, but he's, he's reminding them because he told them about his testimony already. 
when he first set the church up and he first preached the gospel to them, he always shared his testimony of how he became an apostle and how he became a Christian first and then an apostle. Verse 17, I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before me uh, or uh, those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Verse 18, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas. Now in the NIV is Cephas, but Cephas is Peter, okay? New King James, King James, NASB, and EBS have Peter's name there, but Cephas means Peter, okay? Uh, and stayed with him 15 days. Verse 19, I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. Uh, James is an apostle as well. Jesus, Mary's other son who was not virgin born, okay? Verse 20, I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Verse 21, then I went to Syria and Sicilia. Verse 22, I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. Verse 23, they only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Verse 24, and they praised God because of me. They praised God. They didn't praise the apostle Paul. They praised God because we don't praise man. Okay. Now listen, uh, now we are entering chapter two, verse one. Then after 14 years, see, Paul didn't just become an apostle when he wrote these letters. You know, he, it, I think he had entered maybe year 20. If not, if I'm not mistaken, I would have to check my study notes, but that doesn't matter because that has nothing to do with our salvation. Verse one again. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. You guys know if you followed my last series, um, Acts of the Holy Spirit, um, why the church has no power, um, when Paul became an apostle, how he was persecuted and, and how he was beaten uh, constantly by the Jews for preaching the faith. Um, Barnabas was with him. Uh, at one point, um, I took Titus along also. Verse two, I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. He's talking about the other apostles. I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. What he wanted to do, what Paul is talking about here is that he was comparing the gospel that Jesus Christ gave him to the gospel that Jesus Christ gave the other apostles. Okay. He wanted to make sure that they were on the same page. Verse uh, three, yet not even Titus who was with me was compelled to be circumcised. Now circumcised is the tangible covenant that God gave Abraham and it passed down through his son, Isaac, Jacob, uh, ended up with, uh, to Moses. Moses gave the children of Israel. It was included in the law. Okay. One of the things the false teachers were trying to get the Galatians to do was to circumcise the male children. Now circumcision was the removal of the foreskin from the males, uh, after they were eight days old. That's what this is, but it was a form of the law. Okay. So Paul is saying here that even Titus 
who was with me was not compelled to be circumcised. He's telling them, I never taught y'all this. So, so where are you getting this from? I didn't teach you this. Okay. Even though he was talking about Titus was Greek. Verse four, this matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves, slaves to the law. Okay. We're not talking about slaves as in how, um, the, the black community was enslaved by white people. I, let me get off of that right quick. Cause that kind of upsets me because I know God had no part in that. That was strictly man. So there, he's not talking about those type of slaves. He's talking about being enslaved to the law. Okay. Cause that's what the laws of Moses does. It enslaves you to keep the entire law, which is 613 of them. Most people don't even know it. So verse uh, five, we did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. The truth of the gospel, meaning saved by grace, not by the law. Okay. Now it's going to get even more detailed. Hang in there, buddy. Verse six. As for those who were held in high esteem, he's talking about the apostles. Uh, whatever they, they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism or impartiality. They added nothing to my message, meaning they were on the same page. They had nothing to add to the gospel. When Paul shared with them the gospel that he received from Jesus, nothing had to be added. Meaning the apostles, all of them were teaching the same thing. Verse seven, on the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised. Now the uncircumcised were considered to be Gentiles or either Greek. And as we go through this, even if you read uh, in the Bible outside of uh, Galatians, whenever you uh, read and they are referring to the circumcised, they are talking about Jews. Okay, and whenever they refer to uncircumcised, they are talking about Gentiles. So, um, let me pick up here. I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, meaning the Gentiles, meaning us. Okay, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. Paul is saying, look, I'm entrusted to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, and Peter is entrusted to preach the gospel to the Jews. Okay, verse 8, for God who who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. Okay. Verse nine, James, Peter, and John, those esteemed as pillars gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. When they recognized the grace given to me, they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised, meaning the Jews. Verse 10, all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. Verse 11, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Now, this is very important. Paul had to correct Peter. Okay, and you wonder why Jesus Christ, even though they had 12 apostles, why he chose Paul, he handpicked Paul without the help of the other apostles to preach to the Gentiles. Cause you got to remember Peter, God had to come to Peter in a dream 
to make him understand that nothing he has blessed can Peter call unclean because Peter would not go to the Gentiles and preach the gospel. He remained with the Jews. And that even after he did preach the gospel to some Gentiles, when the Jews came around, Peter put on a front. He was a hypocrite. So when, when Paul spent 14 days or 15 days with Peter, this incident occurred and now Paul is sharing this with us. Now listen to what Paul, Paul have to tell Peter. Verse 11 again, when, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Verse 12, for before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. So what Peter was, was doing was he knew you, we are saved by grace. All the Jews hadn't accepted that yet. He knew the Gentiles were converted. He knew that the Gentiles were no different from them now because we are all saved by grace in Christ. But when the Jews came around, he faked like he didn't even know the Gentiles and practiced Judaism or Judaism with the Jews. And Paul saw it and he called him out. One of the reasons why I am so outspoken, if I know you are a false teacher and you do things or say things in front of me that is contrary to God's word, I will correct you because you are doing that false teaching in front of others. So you will be corrected in front of others. Paul did it so I can do it. Okay. Any leader in the gospel can do it. Now, uh, listen, listen, listen what Paul told Peter. Uh, certain men came from James. He used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group, meaning the Jews. Verse 13. I'm sorry. Verse 13. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. They even had Barnabas doing it. When the Jews came around, they faked like they didn't know the Gentiles. So they start doing what the Jews did, but they did it out of fear because Peter never switched from the gospel. But here's the thing. If you deny Christ in front of man, Christ will deny you. Now you, you want to wonder why a lot of people wonder and ask me, you know, why, why did God choose Paul when he had 12 other apostles to set up the church? Why we needed that 13? This is why right here, you couldn't get Paul to bend. Peter scared to take a lick. You have to remember when Jesus was on his way to Calvary and Peter tried to stop him and God said, and, and, and yes, God, Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan, because, and it was Peter who said it. Why did Jesus say, get thee behind me, Satan? Because Peter had allowed Satan to enter his spirit to try to stop Jesus from going to that cross. Okay. Now, I want you to also remember, Pete, when, God, when Jesus explained to the crew that he was going to die, Peter was saying, far be it from you, Lord, I will die for you. I will die with you. Jesus looked at Peter and said, man, look, before the rooster or the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And it happened. And when Peter realized he denied Jesus three times, when people were accusing him of knowing Jesus and being with Jesus, then when he denied Jesus that third time, he heard the rooster crow and Peter remembered what Jesus told him and he started crying. He started crying and thank God for the Holy Spirit. Now, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit here because you got to remember the Holy Spirit didn't come 
until the day of Pentecost after Jesus had ascended on high. Because without the Holy Spirit, boy, let me tell you, Peter would have been in trouble. Peter had some serious issues. Now, we all know, and I'm not digressing, all of this is associated with this. We all know that God does not give us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. But right here, the Bible is clear. It said Peter was afraid of the Jews. So where did that fear come from? Because it didn't come from God. And for those of you who are Catholic, who are listening to me, the church is not built on Peter. <laughs> the church is not built on Paul. It's not built on James. It's not built, built on Jude. It's built on Jesus, the chief cornerstone, the foundation of the church. It's not built on man. And sure enough, not Peter. You know, Peter was weak. Now, Paul is saying, I had to correct Peter. Let's pick back up at, at verse 13. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that they, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Verse 14. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile, meaning he was living in the freedoms that uh, in Christ as well. And not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs when you're not following them? Mm -hmm. But Peter, remember, was doing this out of fear. Paul wasn't afraid, as you can see. He corrected Peter in front of all the Jews that he was uh, uh, perverting the gospel in front of because that's what Peter was doing. Uh, verse 15. Uh, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles verse 16, know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. And we, Paul could have ended his letter right there. He could have, uh, but he goes further. Ver, uh, verse 17, but if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, meaning the Gentiles, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. Verse 18, if I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. Rebuilding what he destroyed, meaning he destroyed the works of the law and destroyed the works of the flesh. And why is Peter rebuilding it? Okay. By, by, look, by associating himself with these Judaizers who perverted the law, I mean, perverted the grace of, of God and was still practicing the law. So Paul is saying, why would I rebuild that? You know, I already destroyed that in me and in my flesh. So then I really wouldn't be a lawbreaker. Verse 19, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. Verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Verse 21, I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. If the law could, and this is what Paul is saying. This is very, be, be very careful. Now I want you to listen. Listen carefully. If righteousness would could have come through the law, we would not have needed Jesus. God would not have sent his son Jesus to save us 
if, if we could be righteous in the sight of God through practicing the law. And Paul is explaining this. Okay? The law can't save you. Jesus does. And keeping the law in any way, shape, form, or fashion cannot save you. What Paul is telling them, you are saved by grace through Christ and through Christ alone. Okay, now let's go into chapter 3. Verse 1. You foolish Galatians. Paul didn't bite his tongue. Oh, no, he didn't bite his tongue. Who has bewitched you? Meaning, who put a stumbling block in your way? Okay? Who, who are, are turning you away from, from the grace of God? Who, who is doing this to you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Before your very eyes. Now, now, now let me explain that a little more. Now, Paul begins the defense of his gospel by reminding the Galatians that their Christian life, which began with faith in Christ, Christ crucified, and was certified by the gift of the Holy Spirit, was altogether apart from the law. They would be foolish to abandon God's way and try to, to reach perfection by their own efforts. And as much as I hate to say this, someone whom I love dearly, is constantly always talking about their good works and they want to be reminded as a good person and they are a good person. And unfortunately, the devil is talking to this individual because you don't have to tell nobody about your good works. If you are, do if you are genuinely, sincerely doing good works from your heart, you wouldn't have to say it. People will see it. And this tells me that something else is going on with this in individual. But Paul is telling them, uh, did you, look, Christ, Christ was crucified and, and was certified by the gift of the Holy Spirit, um, saying that they were, okay, uh, their faith in Christ, which uh, assisted them in, crucify, uh, in crucifying the works of the law in their flesh, and they were certified by the gift of the Holy Spirit, and, and that was altogether apart from the law. It was separated from the law. They would be foolish to abandon God's way and try to reach, reach God another way. We have this new movement called the um, Hebrew Israelites or black Hebrew Israelites um, that are turning people away from Christ to follow them and to become Judaizers and practice the law. Here's the thing. You can't fulfill the law. It's 613 of them. Even Peter, when uh, Peter and John and James went up to, um, remember they went up to Jerusalem, to the high council, and spoke to them, and they told them uh, the difference between grace and law. Peter said, we couldn't keep the law, and our fathers couldn't keep it, so why are you trying to make the, 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 the Gentiles keep it? You can't. It's impossible. But there's a reason the law came, and Paul is going to explain that as well. Uh, let's pick up at um, verse 2. In chapter 3, I would like to learn just one thing from you. This is the most logical question a person can ask. Paul is saying, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? What did they hear? That Jesus Christ was the Son of God. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, uh, you would be saved. And then seconds later, they received the Holy Spirit. Did you receive it by working the law? Or did you did you receive it by hearing faith in Christ? 
That is the most logical question you can ask someone today regarding, especially if they feel with the Holy Spirit and trying to keep the law. Wait a minute. If, if the Holy Spirit could come to you by keeping the law, why did Jesus have to die? That's what Paul is explaining to them. Verse three, are you so foolish at the, be at the uh, beginning by means of the spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Because that's what the law is. You doing works in the flesh to please God. And he's not looking at your works. God looks at the finished work that Jesus did on the cross. He ain't looking at what we do. Verse four, have you experienced so much in vain? If it really was in vain, verse five. So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? And let that sink in for a second. Verse six. So also Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness. And if you want to uh, read that, you can go to Genesis chapter 15. If you want to read the whole story about Abraham, because Paul is getting ready to give an illustration uh, regarding Abraham um, his wife, Sarah, her, her bond servant, a bond maid, Hagar, and the two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. You can go to Genesis chapter 14 and 15, read those entire chapters. Verse six again. So also Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness. Verse seven, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Verse eight, scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. God preached the gospel to Abraham in advance and Abraham believed it. Now this was about a thousand years before this Paul wrote this. Abraham believed it. So it was his faith in God back then was accounted to him for righteousness, not by laws. The laws didn't come until 430 years later. And we're going to get to that shortly. Um, but Abraham believed God. And so it was accounted to him for righteousness, meaning God accepted Abraham because he believed him. Um, what verse are we on? Let's do verse eight again. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and not by works of the law, by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you is what God told Abraham. Verse nine. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Okay. Abraham, the man of faith. That's why we call him father Abraham. Uh, verse 10, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Do, 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 do y'all need me to read that to you again? For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Now, this is how some false teachers can get you, because if you don't know no better, that's why I'm reading entire letters to you. There are false teachers that pick up right there in, in verse 10 of chapter 3. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. But I just read everything to you. Paul is explaining why we shouldn't keep the law. Okay, let's read verse 10 again. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. All who rely on the works of the law. So if you are still trying to keep any semblance of the law, you are under that curse and you are not protected by the grace of Christ. You need, this needs to be very clear to you. If you are relying on any semblance of the law, you are under a curse. That same curse that follows the law. See grace, um, 
and law are separate. Forgiveness and eternal life is under grace. Condemnation and judgment is under the law. And that hasn't changed. If you want to follow the law, you're going to be judged by the law. Uh, uh, let me continue. Uh, let's pick up here. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do every, everything written in the book of the law. Verse 11, clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God. You won't find false teachers reading that, that uh, verse to you. Verse 11, clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. Our faith in Christ is what we have to live by. That's it. We don't have to live by no Ten Commandments. We don't have to live by any, any semblance of the law. We just have to live by, by grace, under God's grace, and by faith in Christ. And so that you won't be confused, trust me, Paul understood that some would be confused by him saying this. We do have a law we have to follow, but it ain't the laws of Moses. That's coming up. Um, verse 12, the law is not based on faith. Do, do y'all hear this? The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Does what things? The law. You have to live by all 613 of them so you can be enslaved to it, but you are apart from grace. Okay, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole or a tree. Verse 14, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the spirit. By faith, not by works of the law. See, the spirit is the seal that is shared abroad in our heart. That's where our love comes from, that seal. It comes by faith in Christ, not by keeping the law. Okay, verse 15, brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Jesus, at, well, no, I'm sorry, just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been du duly established, so it, is in, so it is in this case. Verse 16, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say and to seeds, okay, meaning many people, but and to your seed. That seed is Jesus, meaning one person who is Christ. Our faith in him alone. That is what this is talking about. That's why I have to rightly divide these scriptures or you wouldn't understand it. Verse 17. What I mean is this. Paul is clarifying too, okay? You have to break this down and rightly divide. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later, and I, I, I mentioned this earlier, the law was introduced 430 years after God made the promise to Abraham that the Gentiles by faith will be declared righteous if their faith is in Jesus Christ. The law was introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. What this is saying is just because the law came 430 years after the promise doesn't do away with the promise. The promise is still in play. Okay, verse 18, for, for if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Verse 19, silence for reflection. Verse 19, when then was the law given at all? 
it was added because of transgressions. Now, Paul is getting ready to explain why the law was implemented. Okay. It was added because of transgressions, because of sin, until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. Meaning until Jesus came, that's why the law was in place to keep some order or to establish some order uh, and give people a tangible, um, let's say, something to hold on to that was tangible so that they, they could at least think they are pleasing God. Okay. And God allowed them to do that. He, he was being fair because you got to remember, you could not be born again back uh, when the law was established. Okay. Uh, no one loved each other. They couldn't, they didn't have the capacity to do it because their hearts were as stone. They were stone hearted. You know how we use that phrase today, boy, he have a heart of stone. We don't say it in a good way. People who have a heart of stone can't love. Okay. They constantly, if you read about the children of Israel, they constantly turn their backs on God. No matter what God told them, no matter how God, how good God treated them, they constantly turn their backs on God. Boy, they gave Moses hell. <laughs> and the prophets that came after. I mean, they gave Moses hell. But um, let's pick up where, where I left off. Let me do 19 again. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions, meaning, meaning sin, until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. What the law does is let you know what you are doing wrong. It's letting you know what sin is. Because where there was no transgression, there was no law. Oh, no. Let me say that. Let me. I, I said it backwards. Where there was no law, there was no transgression. If you don't know that what you are doing wrong is wrong, then it's not wrong. And this is why God sent the law. The people didn't know that they were in violation of something or didn't know that they were um, making God angry, uh, if you will. Um, they had no idea that what they were doing was wrong. Hating their brother, killing their brother and sister, you know, doing all kinds of of of, of heinous things. And God said, let me establish this law with them until grace comes. Okay. Um, the law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. Verse 20, a mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Okay. Verse 21 is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God. Absolutely not because the, the law was in place for a reason. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. Did you understand verse 21? Very important. If the law could have given you eternal life, then the righteousness would certainly have come by the law. It couldn't give you life. It couldn't give you eternal life. It couldn't give you the Holy Spirit. So it didn't come by the law. The law was temporary. Okay, verse 22. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin. And this is what this means. The law told us, and I just explained that to you before we got to verse uh, 21. The law tells us what sin is. That's what, the, that's what the law is good for. It tells you what you are doing wrong. Okay, but there's curse under the law and there's judgment under the law, but there's no judgment on the grace. Okay, Let, let's let's establish this now because it is written. Stick to what is written and stop listening to what people are telling you. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin. So that was so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, what Paul is establishing here is that you can't save yourself by your works. 
I don't care how much of a good person you think you are, you are not considered to be uh, righteous in the sight of God unless you are in Christ. And I thank God for his grace because I know I would never have been declared righteous on my own because our works are as filthy rags. But the works that Jesus did on the cross are clean works. You understand me? Jesus died and took every sin that man ever, ever committed with him on that cross. Every sickness and disease died with him on that cross. Jesus took all of that from, from away from us. For those who believe in him are declared righteous in the sight of God through Christ only. Through him only. Your good works can't get you into heaven. Keeping the laws can't get you into heaven. And that's what Paul is trying to establish here. And if you heard something, I just bumped the mic. That's what Paul is trying to establish here. That you can't save yourself. Okay? God, it, he introduced the, uh, the laws to Moses by an angel. An angel of the Lord came to Moses and gave him the laws to give to the children of Israel. Now here go uh, <laughs> a shocker to most of you. The laws were never given to us, the Gentiles. They were given to the Jews the children of Israel. They were never given to us. And you're going to pick up on this and it really is established in Romans when we get there because we are going to tour the entire letter that Paul wrote to the Romans as well. Um, not today, of course, but in, in one of my upcoming episodes. But um, let's pick up verse 23. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law. Okay? locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. That faith that was to come to be, to be revealed is Jesus. Verse 24. So the law was our guardian or schoolmaster, as the King James and ESV says, until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now uh, that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Now the guard, guardian represents the law. Now that Jesus came, we are no longer under the law. Do y'all get that? This is simple and clear. Verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God. In Christ Jesus. Okay, we are children of God. Through faith. Verse 27. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Hallelujah. Neither slave nor free. Praise God. Nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying here, it doesn't matter if you were a Jew and you converted over to Christianity, I'm sorry, Christianity, or if you were a Gentile and were converted from pagan worship to Christianity, doesn't matter if you were a male or a female, we are all one in Christ Jesus. We should be doing the same thing, meaning keeping our faith in Christ. We shouldn't be trying to keep the law. That's what Paul is saying, verse 29. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, did you hear this? It says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What's the promise? Eternal life through Christ Jesus. Faith in Christ. You are given eternal life. You don't have to work for it. Because if we had to work for it, we all going to hell. Oh, yes, we are all going to hell because we all have, have done some things in our past, my Lord, that if it wasn't for the grace of God, we would never have been forgiven. Because if you break one semblance of the law, you are guilty of the entire law. And there is 613 of them. And the Jews who were trying to keep the, keep the law never kept all 613. So where is uh, their sacrifice? 
you can no longer include it in um, Judaism was sacrifice an animal. So God is no longer uh, accepting animal sacrifices. That's in the book, book of Hebrews. The only sac blood sacrifice he is accepting is the blood of Jesus. The blood that Jesus said, shed on that cross. Now we are entering chapter 4. Verse 1. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave. Although he, he owns the whole estate. Verse 2. The heir is subject to guardians, meaning the law, and trustees until the time set by his father. Okay? You were under the law for a certain amount of time. Verse three. So also when we were under age, we were in slavery, meaning under the law, under the elementary spiritual forces of the world. Verse four. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Jesus was born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. And I have said this in my previous episodes. If you want to become a child of God, you have to go through the adoption agency of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wasn't just saying that in vain. I knew it was written. See, if you know the word, you can speak the word. I don't speak my opinion. I speak the word. Uh, let me say that again. Lord, that we might receive adoption to sonship. You are not a child of God just because you are on this planet. You have to become a child of God through the adoption agency of Jesus Christ. Verse 6, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. And I talked about that already. The spirit who calls out Abba Father. Verse 7, so you are no longer a slave under the law, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. An heir to Father Abraham. We are declared righteous in Christ Jesus because of our faith. Uh, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And we now believe God because we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and received that in our hearts. That's what that means, believe in our hearts. We receive it in our heart. We are now declared righteous in Christ. God doesn't look at what we do. He look at what Christ did on the cross. And if we believe that, when God look at us, he see Jesus. Okay? That's why it's important for us to have faith in Christ. You better leave the laws of, of Moses alone. And that's getting ready to come up. Now, verse 8. Formerly, when you did, did not know God, he's talking to the Gentiles. Because the children of Israel had all, have always been uh, children of God. Okay? Before Christ came. But Gentiles were not. So he says, formerly, when you did not know God. Because you got to remember, Paul was talking to um, the Gentiles who had converted to, to Christianity through faith and the Judaizers who had entered the church and, and, and perverted the gospel. You were slaves to those who by nature are not gods, meaning they were pagan worship. They were involved in pagan worship, um, worshiping idol gods. They were enslaved to their idol gods with a little g, man-made images, and they worshiped those. Verse 9, but now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it? See, now we are known by God because we believe in his son. How is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Pagan worship. Some of them had begun to, to, to uh, worship, their, worship their pagan gods again. Uh, do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Verse 10, you are observing special days and months and seasons and years. Verse 11, I fear for you 
that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Paul said, I preached the gospel, taught you about how to walk in grace, and now I think I wasted all that. I preached it to you and teached it to you in vain. If, see, if I was Paul, I wouldn't be worried that hard. Plant your seed and keep it moving. But Paul had a love for God's people, and he did not want to see those people go to hell. He didn't, which is why his letter is heartfelt. Um, verse 11 again, I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Verse 12, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. Verse 13, as you know, it was because of an illness. And right here, Paul is talking about a, a physical deformity, a physical deformity, because you know, Paul had been beaten by Jews uh, that I first preached the gospel to you. Verse 14, and even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with competent, uh, with contempt. I'm sorry. You did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. That's how you treated me. Verse 15, where then is your blessing of me now? Where's your love uh, of me now? Or for me now is what Paul is saying. I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Verse 16, have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Because I'm telling you the truth, now I'm, I'm your enemy? Verse 17, those people, those people who have perverted the gospel to, to the Galatians are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us. Who is us? The apostles and the disciples who are following the truth so that you may have zeal or zeal for them. Verse 18, it is fine to be zealous provided the purpose is good and to be so always, wait, let me read that again. And to be so always, not just when I am with you. Verse 19, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Verse 20, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. Now, uh, verse 19, Paul is, is, is liking his anxiety over the Galatians to the, to the uh, travail of a mother at childbirth. That's what Paul is saying. I'm, <laughs> I'm having these pains, my goodness. He is perplexed. My God, you received the Holy Spirit. Some of y'all, you know, were even healed uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. And now you turning away from that? You turning away to something that doesn't provide healing? That doesn't provide deliverance? Something that pleases man and man alone? Something that you have to work hard in your flesh to do? And you are turning away from God's grace? That's why he is perplexed. Verse 21, tell me. You who want to be under the law. Oh, this way it gets serious. Are you not aware of what the law says? Verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons. Now he's getting ready to use this as an example. One by the slave woman, which is Hagar, which represents the law right here. And the other by the free woman, which is his wife, Sarah, which represents the promise of God, which is grace. Verse 23. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh. But his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. Verse 24, 
These things are being taken figuratively. And I just explained it to you. What he's saying is he's using this as an example. If you don't know the story of Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar, God had made a promise. This is real um, back in Genesis. But God had made a promise to Abraham and Sarah that Sarah would bear Abraham a son. Now, because they were up in age and uh, Sarah was barren, she really couldn't have any kids. They were like in their 90s. Abraham may have been 102, 3 or something or 101 and Sarah was in her 90s. So God said, I'm going to give y'all a son so that he can carry on uh, Abraham's posterity. But God was taking too long for them. So what Sarah did was go to her bond servant, Hagar, okay, and had her sleep with her husband, Abraham, and her bond, her, her, her maidservant became pregnant and gave Abraham a son named Ishmael. That was not according to God's promise. And then because of impatience, they did that. And then Sarah eventually got pregnant for uh, her husband Abraham and had Isaac. That was the promise of God, not Ishmael. So this is what um, Paul is telling. He, he's telling them, he's, he's sharing something that they are familiar with because they knew the scriptures. He is the child that Abraham had with uh, Hagar is not the child of promise. So he is representing that, he is uh, referring to that as being the law. Okay, and that the child he had with his wife, Sarah, Isaac, was the promise that God made to them that he would give Abraham a son. Okay, so I hope y'all understand that you can read more about that in Genesis chapter 14, 15, 16. Okay, uh, let's pick back up at 24 again. These things are being uh, taken figuratively, meaning as an example, the woman represented two covenants. I just explained the two covenants to you, one for the promise and one for under the law. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves, which is from Hagar. This is Hagar, verse 25. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is slavery with she is in slavery with her children. Verse 26. But the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is another mother, meaning Sarah, who represents the promise of God, which was the coming of grace in Christ Jesus. 27, for it is written, be glad, barren woman, talking to Sarah, you were never born, you, you who never bore a child, shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman. See, the desolate woman is the one who was having children, but Sarah couldn't bore a child for some reason. Uh, but God made it possible. See, nothing is impossible with God. Sarah had a child in her 90s. Then, um, let me read that again, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Verse 28, now you brothers and sisters, like Isaac, who was the child of promise, are children of promise. Verse 29, at that time, and Paul is referring that to us, we are the children of promise, okay? Like Isaac was, with his mother Sarah and his father uh, Abraham. Verse 29, at that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son bo born by the power of the spirit. Uh, it is the same now, meaning those who are still practicing the law are persecuting us who are walking in the freedoms that Christ gave us. Let me tell you a secret here. Christ delivered us from religion. We don't follow religion to be reconciled to God. All we, do, all we need is faith in Christ and we are automatically reconciled to God. 
We don't follow religion. So those who, who walk in grace and, and, and walk by faith, not by sight, are persecuted by those who keep the law. But you just read God on our side. He's not on the side of those who are keeping the law. Any semblance of the law, he is not on their side. It gets serious here. Verse 30, but what does scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. This is so important, saints. Meaning if you are trying to keep the law, you can't be under grace. It is impossible. They cannot co coexist together. And let me read that again. Oh, this is so important. Verse 30. But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman, meaning the, the law, because the slave woman represents the law in this illustration Paul is given. For the slave woman's son, Ishmael, will never share in the, in, in, in the inheritance with the free woman's son, Isaac. We share in the inheritance by faith in Jesus Christ, not by keeping the law. They can't coexist. Okay, verse 31. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Chapter 5. Verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery, meaning being attached to the law. The law enslaves us. Now, I want you to pay attention to the first part of this verse. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. He set us free from the law so that we never had to establish the law in our lives so that we can be free from it. Okay, he set us free from the law so we can be free. What Christ has done in a nutshell is set us free, every person on this earth, from religion. That's what following the law is. It is a form of religion. Anybody who tells you that you have to do something, and this is including a denomination claiming to be a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what denomination that is. Some of these non-denominational churches too. If they are trying to add something to God's salvation plan, something that you need to do to work for salvation, they have perverted the gospel and let them be accursed. Okay? Let them be accursed. Paul is very clear on this. Not just Paul. All of the apostles are very clear on this. God chose through Jesus Christ. He handpicked these 12, 13 apostles. He handpicked them. We ought to listen to the teachings of the apostles, not that person standing in a pulpit in your local church. If they are not in line with this word and not telling you that you are saved by grace and by grace alone, they have perverted the gospel. You are working for them so that they can fill their bellies. Watching you do something they commanded you to do and then telling you you saved if you do it. That's not the work of God. It's not coming from God. It's coming from, from man. And Jesus Christ, Paul is being clear here. Verse one again, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Okay, verse two, mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, this is a part of work. This is what is uh, within the laws that the angel of God gave Moses to, to uh, give to the children of Israel, established for them until Christ came now. Paul is saying, if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. See, you can't 
commingle law and grace. You can't. It's impossible. Verse three, again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. The whole, all 613 laws, you are obligated to keep them. So don't get circumcised because you think it's cute. Okay, this is serious here. You are playing with your life. If you think that following religion can uh, reconcile you to God, you go right on ahead. But you can't come back here to get it right. If, if, if death catches up with you before you really catch up with Christ and, and God's grace, meaning faith through Christ and Christ alone in order for you to be saved, it'll be too late for you because you can't come back here and get it right. You listen to the apostles, not that person in your pulpit. Uh, again, I declare verse three, again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. Verse four, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ and you have fallen away from grace. Now you guys need to read verse four over and over until you understand this. Now you see, for those of you who didn't know it was written in here, here it is. Galatians chapter five, verse four, you who are trying to be justified by the law, meaning doing the works of the law, have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Verse five, for through the spirit, we eagerly await by faith, the righteousness for which we hope. Verse six, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now we are getting ready to get into the, cov the, the covenant we established with God and that the commandment we are under. We are not under the 10 commandments. We are under this commandment. Verse seven, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? Meaning who put a stumbling block in your way? Who hindered you from following or obeying the truth? Verse, verse eight, that kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you, meaning this is not coming from God. Someone who is telling you that you have to do good works and that you have to please man with your good works to be saved and to be reconciled to God. Mm -mm, mm -mm. They have called it, caused you to fall. You are not under grace if you are doing that. And we are saved by grace through faith. So if you are not under grace, you are not saved. This is what Paul is trying to explain. Verse seven, again, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? Verse eight, that kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. Verse nine, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Meaning this is why God tells us to not be unequally yoked with a non-believer because their works and their beliefs will eventually get you. It'll get to your flesh. Oh yes. And you will no longer be walking in the spirit of God. Uh-uh, you will start following the things of your flesh. Verse 10, I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. Paul praying for him, I'm confident that you will go back and, and follow God through grace, uh, by his grace, and which is faith in Christ. Uh, the one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be will have to pay for the penalty. Meaning any false teacher, is going to pay for, for what they're telling people and people are falling and believing them. But let me tell you something, people, even though the false teachers may be going to hell when they leave here, 
what you think is going to happen to you? You're not going to escape either because you heard the truth. You are choosing to follow false teaching, but you heard the truth. Even though Paul is saying here, look, that person who he, who is who is sharing this false uh, information with you, causing you to be confused, will have to pay the penalty for that. So are you for following it. Verse 11, brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? So Paul is telling them, I ain't preaching uh, circumcision. That's why I'm being persecuted. You know, that's how their dialect, <laughs> that's how they talk backwards. But, you know, I, I, you know, I'm not preaching cir circumcision. Cision, that's why I'm being persecuted. In that case of, of the offense of the cross has been abolished. Meaning circumcision has been abolished. Okay. Done away with verse 12. As for those agitators, I wish they would go to, to the whole way and emasculate themselves, meaning just remove themselves. That's what Paul is saying around here telling people you hear the truth and then somebody come to you and this prophesied too that uh, because of lawlessness you know people are going to start following uh, any type of teaching that come their way as long as they like it it sounds good to them I'm going to go with this the Bible prophesied that was going to happen and let me tell you you are not under grace anyone who is not under grace when death catch up with them is not going to heaven they are going straight to hell. And if these teachers stop chasing your money in your pockets and start telling you the truth, a lot more people will be saved. But they are following people because they like what they are saying. Mm -hmm. Just following any wind of doctrine. Not following the truth anymore. There will come a time, and we are living in those times. The Bible is clear on that. That people will no longer follow sound doctrine. Sound doctrine meaning sound teaching. They're going to follow what they want to hear. They're going to follow whoever or whatever church or denomination is saying what they want to hear. And you have a penalty to pay for that. You do. Uh, uh, verse 11 again, brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. Um, verse 12, as for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way. And emasculate themselves, meaning just remove themselves. Verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Here we go. See, most people think, oh, uh, Christians ain't nothing but a bunch of sinners. No, they are a bunch of sinners who were saved by grace. Not now. Paul is about to uh, explain this. Just because you are a Christian and you are saved doesn't mean you can run loose as a goose. Here we go. Verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, meaning to walk in sin. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Verse 14, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus Christ, when he walked the face of this earth for 33 years, when he started his ministry, his ministry only lasted three years because he ended up being killed. Uh, for our sins. So the death of Christ, I am happy that that occurred because if he had not died on the, cra on the cross, our sins would not be forgiven. But he kept the entire law, all, all 613 of them, so that we wouldn't have to keep it. No one on the face of this earth before Christ came and no one today is able to keep all 613 laws. 
you violate in some some form. Most people don't even know what the 113 laws, I mean, not 100, what the 613 laws are. Most people don't. They don't keep them because they can't. Some denominations and churches, they take some out like the Ten Commandments, which is associated with the law, included in the 613, by the way. Uh, we got to keep the Ten Commandments to be saved. You didn't, we, Paul didn't mention that, did he? I'm following the doctrine of Paul and the other apostles. Paul didn't mention the, the Ten Commandments. You don't have to keep the ten, the ten Commandments. And so Paul is getting ready to explain how Christians should live. Okay? Verse 15, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Okay? We can destroy each other biting and devouring one another. Verse 16, so I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walking by the spirit is not walking by a ghost. What it's saying is our recreated spirit, our born again spirit. We have a new nature. Those who confess Christ and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we were given a new nature. Okay. Paul is saying you need to walk in your new created spirit, your new nature, because we now have uh, dominion over, over sin. The children of Israel didn't. They were consumed by sin, so the laws had to be had to be established so that they can know what was consuming them, uh, what sin was, and that, hey, look, if you try to stay away from them, and then if you sin, bring an animal sacrifice to the priest in the temple, and he will bring it to the altar and sacrifice that animal's blood for your sin. And your sin back in that day, the children of Israel, their sin was covered for one year. But those who are under Christ, our sins are wiped away. See, it was a temporary covering under the law. But today under grace, it's wiped away. So uh, verse 16 again, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. Our flesh, because we still in this flesh, our body itself was not born again. Our recreated spirit was. Okay, the spirit that lives inside of us was born again. Because you got to remember, we all are spirit. This flesh is just a facade. Okay? I'm sorry, I had to fix my my chain was choking me. And I had to <laughs> adjust it right quick. Uh, verse 17, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit desires what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Now, what this is saying is the, the flesh is trying to get you not to walk in the fruit of the spirit, okay? But we have the power to do what we want, okay? So we have to choose either to walk in the spirit or walk according to the lust of our flesh. We have that power. That is what this is talking about. Verse 18, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Okay, oh, is this trick? Did Paul just contradict himself? No, he did not. What he is saying is, if you are led by your recreated spirit, you ain't under the law. You ain't walking in the law because here's the thing. The law tells you what sin is. The law is sin. So if you are walking in sin and practicing sin, you ain't under grace. That's what Paul is saying. You ain't saved by it. You ain't under grace. If you are choosing to practice this with no conviction in your heart whatsoever, practice sin, you are not under grace. That's what Paul is establishing because some of the Judaizers were saying, what you're telling them is that they can just live in sin. 
We all know the wages of sin is death. Yeah, the wages of sin is death. Which is why some Christians, yes, I say Christians, are dying early. If you practice sin, do you know that you can uh, uh, stumble? You, It's a difference between practicing sin and then fall and pray to sin every now and then. See, a Christian will fall prey to sin every now and then. They are still saved. But the one who practice sin is deceiving themselves. If you are practicing sin with no conviction whatsoever in your heart, you ain't, you ain't never accepted Christ. Because I have said this before to those uh, who follow me on a regular basis, you know. If you come in contact with Christ, <laughs> the spirit of Christ, you will never be the same again. He delivered me. He washed my sins away, still cleansing me. So he can cleanse us from all unrighteousness, but he is still our advocate. Just in case we fall prey to sin, we're still saved. There's no such thing as you saved, then you sinned, then you are unsaved. You will not find that scripture in this Bible. Stop letting people tell you anything and have you walking, uh, being convicted in your spirit and, and you walking, feeling down. What you are doing is thinking you are saved by what you do and what you don't do. That's called idolatry. Don't do that. That's the devil talking to you. That's not God. Because look, walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh is what Paul is saying. Now let's pick back up verse 18. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Here we go. It's going to make some people feel uncomfortable, but Paul has a soothing message that's coming in chapter six. Just listen, listen now. You need to know what the flesh, the desires of the flesh is. This is not all of them. These are the most common desires of the flesh. So Paul is saying, here we go. The obvious desires of the flesh, sexual immorality, which consists of sleeping with people you are not married to, which is called fornication, committing adultery, which is sleeping with someone you are not married to, and, and they are married. Uh, homosexuality, which is sleeping with the same sex. And a lot of us were delivered from all of these or some of these. Because let me tell you, the qualification for salvation is you must be a sinner. So it doesn't matter what you have done in your past. God, through Christ, will forgive you. But if you are not in Christ and you were involved in some of this, you ain't forgiven. You are only forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood that he shed on Calvary's cross. That's the only way you are forgiven. So you better thank God for his grace. I thank God for his grace all the time. In uh, immorality, uh, impurity, things that are impure, and debauchery. Now, for those who don't know what debauchery is, it is uh, excessive indulgence in anything. It can be sex. It can be alcohol. It can be drugs. Okay? Because that's who your God is. Uh, you are using these things in excess. Um, idolatry, which is worshiping false gods, worshiping people, worshiping your own works. And a lot of people don't know that. That's idolatry too. Worshiping and praising yourself. I'm good. I'm doing this for this person. I've done this for this person. I'm doing this for this person. That is self-indulging too. And it's also called idolatry. And witchcraft, going to Miss Cleo, getting your palms red. These are works of the flesh. Now, hatred. See, hatred, it doesn't come from God. God is the opposite of hate. God is love. And if you walk in hate and you don't love your brother, the love of the father is not in you. You need to understand that too. Um, 
discord, always in, in, in conflict with someone, jealousy. You are jealous of what someone else has or what someone else is doing. And uh, I call them those people chameleons. Uh, they're not, it's not their talent or their gift, but whatever they see someone doing and they successful at successful at it, they want to become like that person. Yeah, they want to become like that person. God says you are walking in your flesh. Fits of rage, which is what God had to deliver me from. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, being selfish, you know, having selfish ambitions, uh, dissensions. And uh, for those of you who don't know what dissensions are, um, it, it, it's, it's people who are led to do discord. Okay, people who are led to do discord. Um, factions, these are separating groups within a group. Just separating yourselves like in some of these denominations. It's, uh, Christians are supposed to be Christians even at work. You're not supposed to be a Christian when you clock out. You are supposed to have integrity and dignity and morals while you are at work as well. Not just at church, whenever you go. Whether it's a Sunday or Saturday or Wednesday or Thursday, Friday, you're supposed to have morals wherever you go. And envy, envying what someone else has, drunkenness, being drunk in, in, in public, off alcohol, being involved in orgies and the like. See, Paul just listed the common desires of the flesh. He says, and the like, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this, meaning practice these things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Practicing these things and succumbing to them every now and then are completely different because nobody is perfect. Some Christians still fall. They don't practice this, but they may fall every now and then. And we are protected by grace if that's the case. Because if you practice this, you don't have no conviction in your heart and, and, and the love of God is not abiding in you. Is what Paul is saying. The Holy Spirit is not in you if you practice this. You don't have no conviction whatsoever. You doing this, no remorse. You feel good about what you're doing. No, uh-uh. Those people you see out there partying and jamming uh, and getting drunk in public. The, hey, that's the world. We, we don't judge them. My job is to judge you. Yeah, my job is to bring this to your attention. If you, look, uh, faking like you are a Christian, right here, you are being convicted right here. If you practice these things, Paul, the apostle Paul, who is speaking on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ, saying you won't inherit the kingdom of God. Because you practicing this, I, my spirit not in you. But if you happen to fall every now and then and do this, you are still saved. Some comforting words are coming, sisters and brothers. I warn you, as I did before, that those who who are. Uh, live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22. But the fruit of the spirit is this. Paul is telling us if we walk in the spirit, this is how we are living. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, meaning patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, chapter uh, um, verse 23, gentleness and self-control against such things. There is no law. Verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those who belong to Jesus are walking in the fruit of the spirit. Verse 25, 
Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Okay? Verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Chapter 6 is the, uh, the last chapter. Now, Paul is going to confirm what I just told you. Just because you're a Christian and there's some false teachers out there who tell you, oh, she, she, she slept with that man and she ain't married to him. She going with someone she's not married to and they having sex does not mean you are not saved. But here we go. Here we go. Verse one, chapter six, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, he's talking to Christians. He, he's not talking to unsaved people. These are Christians. You who live by the spirit, meaning you who walk in the spirit, should restore that person gently, not look, not bash them, not condemn them, gently restore that person and remind them what the fruit of the spirit is. And more importantly, is to remind them that they are forgiven. They are in Christ. They are automatically forgiven. Confess your sins. John tells the children, his little children, talking about us. If any of you do, do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. His name is Jesus Christ. And, and Paul is not saying this, neither did John say this so that we can feel good about sinning. Nobody who has the Spirit of God in them feel good about sinning. You will feel convicted. Oh, yes. And that conviction alone will cause you to turn from it and God will cleanse you from it. But we're not perfect. As long as we are on this earth in this body, we are subject to fall. But this is encouragement here. Paul says, you who, who, who live in the spirit, meaning you who, who are walking in the fruit of the spirit, should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also may, may be tempted. What Paul is saying is you are not free from, from sinning either. You have to watch out that you don't start following in that person's footsteps. Y'all will fall together. Next thing you know, both of y'all walking in sin. And then another spiritual Christian have to come and restore y'all. Bring y'all back to the fold by walking in the spirit. Reminding you that we should walk in love and peace and patience and joy. Okay, that's what this is about. These are encouraging words. Um, verse 2, carry each other's burdens. Yes, we should be here for one another. Um, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. This is the law we are fulfilling of Christ, uh, which is love. Christ fulfilled the entire law with one word, love. Christ kept all 613 laws so we wouldn't have to keep them. That's why we are saved by faith in what he did, not our works, in what Christ did. Now, there are some false teachers out there that will try to use Christ keeping the laws um, as a means for us to keep them. That's not why he kept them. We just read the entire book of Galatians. We in the last chapter. Okay, Christ fulfilled the, the, the law, all of them in one word, which is love. We have to walk in love. Love thy neighbor. That's the covenant and that's the law we are under. That is the commandment that we are under. Verse three, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. See, we, we are not above falling. Okay, so this is where the encouragement is. We are not above falling. So don't beat yourself up if you did something that is outside the fruit of the spirit. We have an advocate with the father. His name is Jesus. And he will forgive anything. God is faithful, not man. God is faithful 
to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't know about you, but that's encouraging to me. And because I know this, I can walk free from the law, free from religion. Christ died for us not to go to religion, but to free us from it because religion enslaves us. Okay, verse four, each one should test their own actions, meaning you need to see if you are walking in the fruit of the spirit, not for salvation, but uh, walking in the fruit of the spirit and uh, encourage one another. Hey, look, brothers and sisters, um, you shouldn't be arguing with this person. Uh, you should be you should rejoice when something good happens to your brother or sister in Christ. Um, you if any of your brother or sisters in Christ happen to be overtaken by a sin. All we need to do is show support. Remember to tell them that Christ forgives what they did and now they can get up, brush themselves off and do it again. Just walk in the spirit. OK, we need to show one another support. Um, verse four, again, each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. See, ain't no competition in the body of Christ here. There is no competition. Verse five, for each one should carry their own load, meaning you're going to be judged for what you do, not what someone else does. Verse six, nevertheless, the one who receives instruction meaning correction in the word, should share all good things with their instructor. Now, let me share this with you. It is okay. Like, I'm going to use me for an example. I'm a teacher, okay? It is okay for you to sow a seed by giving me or sharing whatever you want to my ministry. It's okay for you to do that. Some abuse this. You will never catch me abusing it. That's why I mentioned in my closing remarks that if you would like to um, donate or support this ministry financially, it's okay. I show you how to get there and you can donate whatever you want, but sow on the seed. And I pray that God gives you a return on that seed. And right here, Paul is saying verse six, nevertheless, the one who receives instruction, like what I'm doing now, you know, um, correcting some of these false teachings out here in the word should share all good things with their instructor or their teacher. Okay, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Okay, because if you walk in those things, those uh, common characteristics of the flesh that Paul listed, uh, you're going to reap whatever you sow. If you get drunk, run, walk out in front of a car and get hit, you're going to get hit and just hope to God you don't die, but you are not protected if you walk in the flesh like that. That is what Paul is saying. You are not protected. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap destruction in your flesh. If you are out there having unprotected sex and you end up having a baby out of wedlock, uh, you and that child is, 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 it look, can possibly die during childbirth. So into your flesh, look, and I use that, that may seem to be a bit drastic, but I want you to understand what sowing to your flesh mean and reaping corruption from your, in your flesh. Um, also, whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. You sow and you walk in the spirit, you will reap eternal life. But here's the thing, sow into, in, in, into the ministry of someone who is teaching you the, uh, the truth. You can reap a, a manifold on that seed. 
Okay, um, verse 9, let us not become weary in doing good. It's okay to do good. Don't become weary. Don't get tired of doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. God will repay your good works, but you ain't saved by them. That's what you need to understand. If you are relying on your good works to be reconciled to God or to reap something, uh, you are on your own. Because you have to have a sincere heart when you do for people. If you are doing things for people just to please man so that man can praise you, uh, chances are you ain't saved. Because you are your own God. You never, ever, ever sing your praises when you do good for people. There are times I pay for uh, someone's groceries that are in front of me who don't have enough money to pay for their groceries. I see them putting it back. And so what I would do is step up and say, I'll pay for the entire groceries. Is it okay if I do that for you? Uh, you are blessing me by allowing me to, to do that for you. And they'll say, yeah, I don't go broadcasting that. I don't go broadcasting that because I'm not doing it to please man. I'm doing it to help my fellow sister and brother. I've seen people cry when I did that. I've never had anything this nice done for me before. Oh, that's okay. You know, we are all in this together. I've never seen that person again in my life. Well, uh, my life is not over, but I, I haven't seen that person since. But we don't broadcast when we do good things for people. And if a spirit is telling you to do that, whether you are sending it through a text message, whether you are posting it on your website, a spirit is telling you to do that. It's not God telling you to do that because God is not going to tell you to broadcast what you do for people. That's not coming from God. Okay. Um, we just shouldn't grow weary in doing good, you know. Don't get tired of doing good for people. Trust me, in due time, Paul said, you're going to reap what you sow in due time. Um, verse 10, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Okay, verse 11, and the family of believers, meaning the a body of Christ. Verse 11, see what large letters, this is the end of Paul's uh, writing, but see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Paul is writing in, in all caps because he wants them to get this. Verse 12, those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. That's to impress people. You're not impressing God if you do that. Uh, the only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Okay, if they can convert you, to Judaism and have you circumcised and following some semblance of the law, you can't persecute them for not following Christ. You get it? Okay. Verse 13, not even those who are circumcised keep the law. And I've been saying this already. And here's Paul saying it. They don't even keep the law yet. They want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in your flesh. Verse 14, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Verse 15, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation, meaning you being born again. So it doesn't matter what religion you're trying to follow. If you're not born again, you're not saved. If you don't have a new created spirit, you're not saved. That's what Paul is saying. So it doesn't matter if you circumcise or uncircumcised, you still got to be born again. And how are you born again? I confess with my, my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I believe and receive in my heart that God raised him from the dead, meaning that I know Christ is alive today. You are saved automatically. 
I'd rather do that than to try to keep 613 laws that I know I can't keep. Verse 16, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule to the Israel of God. Verse 17, from now on, let no one cause me trouble for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus, which is the illness Paul was talking about. Paul had been beaten. See, a lot of us, a lot of these fake teachers today would not have been able to live during that time. Paul said, I bear the marks in my body <laughs> of Jesus Christ preaching the gospel. So why am I preaching the gospel and, and, and being persecuted constantly and been beaten almost to death? Why would I still be preaching the gospel if it wasn't true? And it's by the grace of God that Paul is still living. Okay, verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Um, now, that was the end of Galatians. And these are key points I want you to take away. We are saved by grace through faith, not keeping the law. And we cannot commingle the two. If you are under grace, you are under grace alone. That's how you are saved. If you are trying to strive to keep the law to be saved, you are not under grace. And you are indebted to keep the entire law all 613 of them and if you offend in one you offend in all and you are under the curse of the law because under the uh, law you are judged and the curse requires death because the wages of sin is death and that is under the law under grace you are forgiven yes there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus Romans chapter 1 verse 8 all who are under Christ are under grace. There is no condemnation. So my brothers and sisters, I hope you were blessed by this message. Next Sunday, we will tour the letter Paul wrote to the Ephesians, which explains in detail about grace. Okay, so until next time, uh, pray for the body of Christ that we are uh, no longer divided that we unify so that we can fight the wiles of the devil because that is who our fight is against. It is not against people. It is against Satan. Um, we are all controlled by a spirit. The question is, what spirit are you controlled by? Are you controlled by the spirit of God or the spirit of the devil? There is no in-between. And for those who say, well, you know, it's so many different religions out here. I, I don't follow any of them. I just believe in God. Well, you need to read the story about Nicodemus, or not Nicodemus, about Cornelius in the book of Acts, about it didn't matter how nice uh, Cornelius was. He was a rich man, wealthy man, had a good heart. He gave to the poor, and he constantly prayed. So when his prayer finally came up as an arm to God, Paul um not Paul, the apostle Peter was led by God to Cornelius' house to preach the gospel. Why was that? Because it didn't matter how nice Cornelius was. It didn't matter how generous he, he was. He still needed Jesus for the forgiveness of his sins. He still, because every man on this planet have sinned. And there's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. The shedding of blood that God accepts for a sacrifice for our sins is Jesus. He is not accepting animal sacrifices no animal blood anymore, and nor is he accepting uh, the blood of any other human being, only the blood of his son, Jesus. So until next time, saints, I'm Dr. Kamala D. I love you. Peace out. All right. 
I hope you were enlightened by this message. If you have any questions or comments about this episode, please send your questions to trustgod55.cd at gmail.com. Or you can send me a direct message by clicking on the message button located on my podcast, Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, and Radio Public, and submit your remarks. You can also support my podcast financially by accessing all my podcasts and clicking on the support this podcast button. Whatever you choose to donate will be greatly appreciated. I am praying for God to give you a return on your seed. Praise God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, the Apostle Paul says, as it relates to sowing a seed, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Hallelujah. Now God will give you a return on your seed as long as you sow your seed in good ground with a cheerful heart. The key is having a cheerful heart. Now until next time, brothers and sisters, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We walk by faith, not by what we see. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D, rightly dividing the word of truth in peace and love. I thank you for tuning in and I hope to see you next time.